1: COVID Echo. This is the 19th COVID Echo we have done. That is just COVID-19. Crazy. COVID 19 for COVID 19. Oh, I didn't think about that cuteness.
0: (laughs) Okay. I just want to applaud myself. Let's move on.
1: (laughs) So we started with a uh, kind of an add-on, which ended up being obviously very timely with everything that's happened in not just Minneapolis and Minnesota, but the world. And so we asked Dr. Renee Critchlow, who is the president of the Minnesota Academy of Family Practice. <laughs> now i got to mess that up. But anyway, we had asked her to speak a little bit uh, to racial disparities in healthcare in general and then now dealing with the COVID epidemic. And just as we all know that they have been dis. You know, especially African Americans have been disproportionately affected by COVID.
0: Yes. And so she talked a little bit about structural racism and COVID, uh, which is called a syndemic.
1: What a neat word, though.
0: Yeah. Never heard of it synergistic epidemic.
1: Synergistic. So basically, what syndemic means is that it's this overlapping and reinforcing two different. Epidemic. So we have the COVID epidemic and then we have the structural racism, which is a long term epidemic. So now we have these two epidemics going in. One just kind of continues to reinforce each other. And, you know, COVID is obviously novel, which is the new. And then the structural racism is this deeply rooted, but together they're, they're, gonna, it's going to be this thing rolling down the hill and just going to gather steam, I guess. Yep. And I think a lot of that came with the fact that everyone's like, well, why now? Why did the death of this one man, why now did it create this whole worldly thing? But this is why, this syndemic, which the AAFP has now called
0: a crisis. So she spent a little time talking about where health begins. Yeah. Uh, Live, learn, work, play. And so that was pretty interesting.
1: I Yes. She referred to the whole social determinants of health, which we all kind of cringe when we hear that. And that's an academic phrase. But the way she laid that out with, the like you just said, the live, learn, work, and play, I thought was just super interesting in how she explained it, saying that only 20% of health is really determined by going to see someone like us and their providers, and 80% comes down to these factors.
0: Yeah, so I think that was really a pretty interesting talk, and she she spent a lot of time talking about, um, you know, where – where we work and play and live, how that affects so much of what uh, our our health really ends up being. So,
1: well, I think just especially with COVID, I think pointing out the fact that uh, people, especially the minorities and, and the blacks that live in in anywhere in any of these major cities, tend to have more congregate living. They have multi generational people all living together. And then sometimes getting to work, public transportation is their only way to get to work, which then obviously exposes them to more people. And then I just found this interesting. She brought this fact up with New York City and the healthcare support workers. So your um, your people that work in the cafeteria, your aides that help support, over seventy percent are people of color yeah. in the New York City health system.
0: Yeah, and interestingly, one of the disparities was that because of the shortage of PPE. A lot of those workers did not get the correct stuff, and so they got sick. And that was one of the things that led to people of color developing many more cases of COVID.
1: Exactly. Um, And then she did touch on the fact that this population does have higher chronic disease. Um, But just really that whole interplay between especially where people live and work and then the transportation to get between um, really just talks about why there is some disparities She touched on obviously a lot of the protesting and the looting, um, and gave a couple good websites to kind of help explain, you know, these videos to help explain some of this racism. Um, which the one, especially for kids, that might be a little bit helpful um, for a youth to be able to see is uh, a YouTube video if you want to search it, The Gardener's Tale 20. Um, and the other one was The Power of an Illusion, The House We Live In, which is 57 minutes. Um, But, yeah, so that was just, you know, it was very poignant. I think a lot of people really enjoyed that part, and it's really hard to obviously put into bullet points on a podcast the passion and dedication, but um, just kind of thinking about it that way it's just a very good way of looking at it.
0: I think one of the things that she talked about a little bit was uh, that there's really a difference between a protester and a looter. And she made that very clear that and I think we all think, you know, the protests I think are are a good thing, uh, but the looting, obviously, that's a different, that's a different issue. And she wanted to make sure that people understood. She felt that way as well. Mm-hmm. So very, very good talk. Very, uh, I, I think timely.
1: Exactly. And then we had a complete 180 and, um, heard from dr jesse kramer who is a dermatologist mercy medical group which is a dignity health system out of sacramento talking about some of these skin manifestations of COVID. and we had seen this powerpoint just in our emails and a couple weeks ago and he couldn't he didn't have the time to come on until today and i'm really glad there was this delay because he was able to add on some of these more recent things as there's not been a lot published on this so
0: yeah dermatology has been kind of uh Kind of one of those things we haven't talked a lot about uh, when it comes to COVID, but boy, really interesting that uh, some of the first stuff that came out was actually uh, was actually from uh, Italy. And uh, I think one of the best parts of his story was that in Italy, because the dermatologist didn't keep working, uh, they actually uh, were sucked into the hospitals and were asked to work as hospitalists. And uh, if anybody here knows dermatologists, that would be the dermatologist's worst nightmare. Right <laughs> now, you're a hospitalist,
1: which let's give him a little credit. Dermatology does rotate and round in hospitals for some of these, you know, during their
0: residency. But that
1: no, they do. When you're talking about some of these systemic illnesses, that when That's someone true. shows up in the hospital, and he did point that out that sometimes the skin in the dermatology is the outward appearance of what's going on internally. But, yes, they don't necessarily love.
0: Well, there's only one dermatologic or emergency.
1: Well, Stephen Johnson. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: or anyway, skin.
1: Well, they're like the same continuum. But they said out of this one Italian journal or this one Italian study um, that out of the 90 patients that they looked at, 20.4% did have skin manifestations that they did determine to be related to COVID-19.
0: Yeah, sometimes very obvious, sometimes pretty subtle. Uh, there'd actually been a very large observational study as well that he talked about out of Spain. Uh, that was actually one of the biggest studies had three hundred and seventy five people uh and and so there 's been uh, a number of studies in different countries but yeah it's uh there 's not he really talked a lot about how there 's just not a lot uh of the dermatologic stuff so
1: I think the the Spanish study was a- like you said, it was just like a, a good turning point in studies for dermatology in that they didn't just say, oh, here's the percentage of people that had derm manifestations. They broke down what type of dermatologic manifestations they had into five different types, Yeah, um, which we can kind of touch on. Yeah, the most we-
0: common of those was actually this maculopapular rash, and almost half of the, the people that developed rash had that. Uh, so that that's that... Uh, you know, can look like a lot of different things, but that was certainly the most common. And then about almost 20% had this pseudo uh lesions. Uh, and
1: they,
0: they this is also known as this kind of acral ischemia. COVID toe. Yeah, you know, and that's where we heard about it first was COVID toe. But as it turns out, you can also see this in the hands.
1: In the hands. Uh, one thing that they'll kind of describe is this: it almost looks like, you know, um, you know, the really cold, like frostbite. Excuse me. <laughs> it's kind of that
0: purplish hue to the tips of the fingers, although it can go a little more than just the fingertips, but uh, very impressive. And in fact, we may have one of those, so we'll see. Stay
1: tuned. But uh, one thing with it is, there's these erythematous nodules that can be warm and tender. Uh, Tender to the touch. So it's not just what it looks like. It can um, be very tender, can cause some swelling in those joints as well.
0: Yeah, about 20% of the patients actually had urticaria, uh, which again, you can see with just a myriad of viral illnesses. So uh, obviously not very specific, but it's something that you can see.
1: And then livido, a livido pattern, livido verticularis, was only in about six percent of the patients. Uh, what they're noticing when you have this livido pattern is that it's typically unilateral in COVID rather than the bilateral. Yeah. And it's that lacy, red, purplish. They can get ischemic areas and breakdown areas, which would then persist beyond the illness, and so just a little mm. bit more long term. Yeah,
0: I like the. The interesting thing with they had some of this monomorphic vesicles, uh, they actually looked a lot like uh, chicken, pox. chicken pox. And, of course, a young doctor like you <laughs> has probably mean- never seen a case. Um, but we just see people covered with these things. So um, I thought that was that's really going to be interesting. That is going to be
1: interesting, mm-hmm. especially... You know, if you think about it and the fear, of course, is and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago or last week with the whole immunization thing. And if people aren't getting immunized and now are going to have lower rates of the MMR vaccine or only half of, you know, the vaccine, they only get the one year old and not the four year old or five year old. If we're going to start seeing that come back more in kids. Yeah, I don't know. Stay tuned, I guess. And then finally, there is this kind of petechial thing. It can be a palpable, can be purpuric. Mostly on the extremities. Didn't really give a percentage of people that get that, but definitely yet another thing. It's just so complicated. Derm is so fun.
0: Yeah. Uh, He touched a little bit on the, um, you know, the pediatric side as well. Is that where we're at? We are. Yeah, and of course we just had a talk on, on some of the pediatric uh, dermatologic manifestations, uh, some of the mouth lesions, uh, and some of those things, and of course. Very much like a Kawasaki type appearance,
1: right? Fifty-seven percent of the kids, though, on his thing, when do get a derm type thing. But these pictures that he showed, which of course y'all can't see, but these kids, it's it's these, it's this deep erythematous rash. It doesn't look superficial in the skin at all. It looks very deep, almost like they got like a hot pad burn in a way, but. Anyway, and then, of course, the the
0: strawberry tongue. The bloodshot eyes, that whole thing. Um, And I think we talked about that. It's that they get the real conjunctival injection, but it kind of spares around the iris, and so they get that white area around. So um, he did talk a little bit about that.
1: Yes. But at the end, you know, kind of summarizing what does it mean? It's the skin is telling us what's going on deeper within the body, Uh, pointed out that things like acral ischemia, so that COVID toe, finger, livid overticularis, petechiae, are often seen when there's inflammation in the small uh, blood vessels in the skin, which would then fit, obviously, with the inflammation that's going on in the body, this cytokine kind of thing. And so you get those cytokines causing inflammation in the microcirculation, which, again, then makes sense.
0: Yep. So, yeah, are we done with all of this... uh all of his stuff there kind of looks like you know. With he talk- the
1: kids stuff, I think it's interesting though to touch on some of the healthcare workers.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the things that I think maybe hasn't really been thought about a lot is that we're all wearing masks twenty four seven. Okay, not that much, but we're wearing masks a lot, and there are a lot of people getting sensitivities to wearing that and rashes underneath it. Very common now.
1: Yeah, a lot of dermatitis just from the mask irritating. And then, of course, the gloves, even if they're not, latex. And then, of course, the acne, which he called maskne.
0: Maskne.
1: Which is really kind of cool.
0: Yeah. And he just went over a little bit about what we can do to kind of prevent that or if we start getting that, different kinds of creams we can use. You know, topical creams like Globetazole and other things to improve that. But he he even mentioned that sometimes some of the patients, especially on their nose or chins, will get things that almost look... Uh, a little bit more like acne rosation, you can mm-hmm. treat those with oral uh, medications such as doxy.
1: Right. And just not going out and getting any kind of weird creams, whatever typically works as a moisturizer for you to potentially put that on your hands, then the gloves, and then obviously after hand washing, put just kind of keep some type of an emollient with you at all times. And for the bad, worse lesions, then that's where the clobetasol would come in.
0: So, yeah, I don't know. We may have to have him back uh, a month down the road. Uh, we've talked a little bit about cutting back to once a week on the COVID, but I don't know. We have so many good speakers coming up. We may, we may keep going twice a week uh, as long as we still get two or three hundred people that want to watch.
1: Right. Actually, I think in a couple of weeks, actually, I know in a couple of weeks we do have a dermatologist from the University of Minnesota coming on. So we do have a fo- not the same dermatologist, but we do have a follow up derm talk as well. So we'll see how much changes in two weeks with this because of course we all know that COVID's infancy we are still in or we do you think we're kind of in the toddler phase. Toddler. Toddler. Uh, So yeah stay tuned next Tuesday we have uh, someone from MDH talking about contact tracing which is obviously a very interesting thing and how they do this and we've kind of touched on that a little bit but to have someone who really explains how they do that And then Dr. Andrew Baker at the Hennepin County Medical Examiner talking about some of these findings they're finding on autopsies and things to be aware of at time of death. And again, he has a very private PowerPoint he'll share with us that we don't have any access to ahead of time, so it's kind of going to cause some nerves for us.
0: It's semi-top secret. There we go.
1: But I think a lot of people are worried about the COVID outbreak kind of getting worse again in the next week or so because of all of the the gatherings. And it's very interesting that a lot of the hospitals in the Twin Cities haven't been counting children's. I think the U is now on board as well, offering free testing to anybody who's had any kind of participation in the protests. So keep that in mind.
0: All right. And next uh, Wednesday, we will not have an opioid slash addiction echo. So that has been canceled has been canceled. Uh, but the following week, will be up and running again. So
1: Yes, and so this weekend, we will be back with the updated journal articles. And then next Tuesday's auto-release here on the Addiction Connection will be us again with the Charlie Reznikoff talking about country music and heroin and opioids.
0: Thankfully, the band is warming up, so we'll stop talking. We want to thank everybody for listening, and uh, hopefully listen again soon.
1: Yep, we're battling.
0: I often stop to think about a place I've never seen well, Where friendly folks can gather and raise the rafters high With songs and tales of yesteryear until they say goodbye Well, there's a puppy in the parlor and a skillet on the stove And a smelly old blanket that a Navajo won't. There's a chicken on his table but you gotta say grace There's always something cooking at old Joe's place Come by around evening time Soon as the sun goes down Some drop in from right next door And some from out of town There's a puppy in the parlor And a skillet on the stove And a smelly old like of That and have a Navajo wolf There's popper in the popper And a porter in the pot There's a pie in the pantry And the coffee's always hot There's a chicken on the table and you've got to say grace There's always something Cooking at old Joe's place Now they don't allow No frowns inside You get by the door There's apple brandy By the keg That's out on the floor. So if you've got a hanker just look for the busted neon sign that flashes E-A-O-S Well, there's a buddy in the parlor and a skillet on the stove There's a smelly old blanket that I'm not There's a popcorn in the popper and a porker in the pot There's a pie in the pantry and the coffee's a There's sausage in the morning and a party in the bag There's some duty that you don't feel right There's chicken on the table and God's grace How is always going to